Are you ready to be awakened and empowered in your calling and purpose? Are you a builder and shaper of the church, marketplace, and society? Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schneider, and I look forward to helping you get equipped as a catalyst of the kingdom in your sphere. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you have not subscribed, I would really encourage you to do so. But welcome, wherever you're watching from, listening from, we have really opened this one up today (laughs) because it's part two of our last week's message, which was the pulpit-driven church versus kingdom-driven church. We really only scratched the surface, although I got incredible feedback from so many people that watched this thing. I was surprised it was shared, it was, you know, discussed. Uh, that wasn't the depth, that was sort of the, the taxiing down the runway. I want to get into today making the shift to a 21st century local church. Okay, so now we're going to make the shift from pulpit-driven church to kingdom-driven church. If you didn't listen to uh, last week's message on pulpit versus kingdom-driven church, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to that because that provides really the ultimate foundation for what we're going to talk about uh, now. And, and this will be peculiar. I, I almost want to make a promise to you, you can travel the world several times and never hear what you're about to hear today. And so I'm, I'm excited about this. Thank you for joining us. As we touched on last week, that 90%, and that's, that would be a conservative figure by my standards, 90% of local churches today are predominantly pulpit-driven churches. We, we analyzed that and, and painted a beautiful picture of what that looks like versus kingdom-driven churches and why If you look at the real commission, I know people go into ministry for all kinds of reasons. People build churches for all kinds of reasons. You may even be watching or listening to this and you say, I thought the point of going to church was going to church (laughs) and just, you know, waiting, staying healthy. It's all about me. Love the worship team. All of those pieces are a factor in what motivates people to go to church, but when we talk about what Jesus actually asked us to do, what he died for, what he commissioned us to do, we actually have a very clear commission in scripture of go into all the world, preach the gospel, or go and disciple all nations. And, and I've talked about and, and, and laid a great foundation already about the difference between discipling nations and just evangelism, but we're actually to disciple nations. So if we were to grid or grade our ministry results in our churches today, could we honestly say that we have been effective at discipling all nations? There would be pockets of great results. There are some incredible stories. There are uh, nations that have been founded upon biblical principles, and and it's not that we have lost in in any way or, or utterly failed. But you would have to say, when you look at the world today and the commission that Jesus gave us, that we've maybe only accomplished approximately 10% of that, of what we could do with the greatness and glory of the kingdom of God in our country. So, where does that leave us? That leaves us at a time in history, an era in history, where God is making a great shift. 
We've been prophesying it. We've been talking about it. We understand there are sociological spheres we're to go into and bring the kingdom to. We, we kind of know what we're to do. And I've actually been hearing this from pastors all over the world, where, wherever I travel. They will say, we know what we're supposed to, to, to do. We get the message, but how? <laughs> and what you inevitably find out is no matter how great the conference was, no matter how great your message was, it always will translate down very practically to how do we shift our churches? How do we shift the mindset of our people to a kingdom-driven church that actually fulfills the Great Commission, no matter what size congregation you have? Because I, I talked about this last week. We did with 13 people. Uh, you know, the, the kingdom literally becoming systemic in our city to where we saw, you know, economy changes and and. Uh, transformation over here and real impact okay so you can make the shift but it really does begin in the local church uh, it is the the commission of the church itself the global church but you'll see it will always find its way back to a kingdom centered local church now I want to get into some profound mechanics here as I said pulpit driven churches predominantly have delivered maybe a 10% result according to the standard of discipling nations, the Great Commission. What most pastors will tell you, as sort of the gatekeepers and the ones on-site, boots on the ground, in the day-to-day -day local church, is they'll tell you they're tired. <laughs> they will tell you they're busy. Uh, they will be counting one person, two person, and somebody went to this church, and someone just joined our church, and we have a new website, and Pastors are just inundated with the day-to-day -day labor of the church, but, but the sense you get, and I've done a lot of coaching with pastors and leaders, is that the amount of effort that you as a pastor is putting in somehow is not bringing the result you feel uh, is worthy of the effort you're putting in, I should say. And if you're really honest, you'll say that. It's like, man, I, I can work around the clock seven days a week and, and, and we're just not seeing the needle move. And this is a problem that needs to be discussed and needs to be addressed. But you will find that most pastors, if they were really honest, would say the results we're getting for what we're giving. I mean, I grew up personally in a pastor's home. I am a pastor. I'm actually fourth generation a pastor fifth on one side of the family as well and I've just been around it you know you're just laboring day and night you you fast on Wednesdays to get your incredible message from God you come to the stage on Sunday and you wish more people showed up to hear this oracle that's going to change their lives you're, you're, you're frustrated that many aren't coming people are attending church but not necessarily growing and if you've done any counseling you know what's going on often behind the scenes despite having a great church and uh, and and let alone is the city being impacted it's a whole other level when you shift to kingdom work and social uh, entrepreneurship and charities and impact it's just different and so pastors would honestly say this, and there's a reason for this, and I want to give you one of the reasons. Everything I say today will have other pieces. Uh, this isn't exhaustive, but here's one of the reasons. It's the 90-10 rule that you will find in any local church. 
when I say 90-10 rule, I'm talking about approximately 10% of any congregation are active go-getters, show up to everything. They're delivering the result that there should be for a local church to thrive and grow and make impact. However, the other 90% have come to sit. They're sort of the inactive. Now, if you question whether that's true, just think of a Sunday service and try to think in your mind of who the 10 percenters are. <laughs> it's the guy who's also the deacon. His wife serves in children's ministry or they're sitting up at the front and flagging on Sunday morning maybe and they've got like six kids they roll up in the van and, and make it so easy. They make it look so easy. They show up at pre-service prayer. They're just involved. They're active and they somehow find time to also be advancing the kingdom beyond the four walls. You as pastors know who the 10 percenters are. And we actually see this rule in business as well. I think it's the 80-20 uh, rule or something like that. It is a, a law of, of life for any general mass of people. The law actually goes beyond just a local church gathering, but for any mass, 10% behave a certain way, 90% behave another way. And so uh, we could say that the general mass, the 90 percenters, are unfruitful. This, this study that I looked into actually says um, non-achievers or something like that, not successful. But let's use the term fruitful within our spiritual context today. Also, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you may have heard this phrase, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about. These are the go-to people that are just there. They volunteer, they, they do it all. And so I want to give you an interesting outcome of a survey I did in our church before I break down for you the characteristics of the 10% fruitful in any congregation versus the 90%. This particular survey I did with our church, I asked one question in the survey. I asked, why do you come to church? <laughs> why do you come to church? The responses that we got were astonishing because 10% of the congregation answered a certain way, while 90% answered a different way. The 90% answered in a way that was sort of like this. We come because we love the worship. We come to church because the church is closer to our house and we don't have, we commute all week, so we're tired. <laughs> uh, the 90 percenters would say, my pastor is so funny. We love his preaching. Somebody says, well, I come because my wife makes me. Somebody says, we love the kids program. Somebody else might say, we love the carpet color. You, you can tell I'm joking at this point. But that's the way the 90% answered. It was somewhat egocentric and self-motivated. We come as consumers, not necessarily contributors to the church or beyond. However, 10% of the people that answered this survey answered in a different way that was very fascinating. They said things like, this is where I come to get equipped and sent. They knew that language. They said things like, we come and get filled up because I work at such and such and that's my mission field. Somebody else might say, we come because we believe in the vision of reaching society 
or we attend this church because we get training in our own personal calling and destiny. That what, I, what I'm meaning to say is that there was such a, a clarity between the 10% answers and the 90%. So now, taking this a little further, and again, this isn't exhaustive for you today. We go into this a lot deeper in our History Makers experience training, and I, I teach this all over the world. Uh, I want to give the factors of these two groups of people that attend church. And, and I don't want you to be weary in, in the numbers and all of this because we're going somewhere that's highly profound. How do we shift the 90 percenters into the attributes and qualities of the 10% where we actually can go out as a church and change the world? How do we make the shift into a kingdom model church? Now, factors of the 10% fruitful. I'm going to give them to you now. If you're a wise person, you're, you're, you're going to write this down. Note takers are history makers, <laughs> my wife always says. Factors of the 10% fruitful. Well, they're self-starters. That's number one. They don't need to be so heavily pushed. You don't need to pull them by the hand. They're mature. They are self-starters, self-motivated. They take initiative when it comes to ministry in the church and beyond the four walls. The second factor of the 10% fruitful, and this one's really important, they know how to determine environment and how to leverage environment. They know how to create environment around them wherever they go. They are not the um, thermometers, they are the thermostats. They set the temperature. They create environment. They are the way they are at church, they're that way at their workplace. They carry heaven's environment wherever they go, all right? Now, but also they know how to leverage environment in that despite what they may have gone through, difficulty in life, challenges, abuse, growing up with crisis around them, they have, instead of crumbling under that, they have counted it all joy and they have used it to produce a greater faith, a greater endurance that, have, that has given them a thick skin, in life, okay? So these are people who leverage environment, the environment factor. The third factor of four, and I'm not gonna give the fourth just yet, but the third factor of the 10% fruitful in our churches today is they place high value on character. Character is the principal thing to them. They are who they are in church, they are who they are beyond the walls of the church, if you were, you know, the way they appear on Sunday is the way they will be behind closed doors. These are people of quality and character, all right? So I'm not going to give the fourth factor just yet, but we'll circle back to it. Shifting now into the 90% unfruitful, all right? The 90% who come to church to sit, they're not they're definitely not bringing the kingdom beyond the four walls, let alone within the four walls, but they come and attend almost religiously. And, and I say that, you know, unashamedly. That is just the way it is. After pastoring for 20 years and, and growing up in this, I've just seen it. And you probably have too. Here are the factors of the 90% unfruitful. Number one, they're not self-starters. They don't necessarily take initiative. These aren't the people that are easily and readily volunteering to do the work of the ministry in church, and they don't necessarily understand or feel motivated 
to pursue the mission beyond the walls of the church. It's a bit inconvenient for them. Too much pressure. It's uncomfortable. They don't want to go beyond Sunday morning to discover their calling, purpose, and destiny. These are people who are not self-starters by nature. They have to be pushed. They have to be prodded. They have to be pulled. Next, the second factor of the 90% unfruitful is environment determines them. They don't determine the environment. These are people who look on fire on Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) but aren't necessarily a flame of fire during the week. And they come back to church the next Sunday. They just made it. They just got through the week without losing their salvation. And they place enormous pressure on the pastor now to deliver another word to just help them get by. These are not necessarily mature sons and daughters of the kingdom. They might be saved, but they're more comfortable remaining in, in baby Christian mode. Okay, so these are people where they are not determining the environment. When they go to work, they're a bit of a different person than they were on Sunday because the environment around them is determining who they are. And that's a good indication of why the ineffectivity. If 90% of our churches are this way, or 90% of the people in our churches are this way, then you're seeing why there's such limited impact, such minimal impact. The third factor of the 90% unfruitful is weak character or dichotomy, dualistic lifestyle. Um, at its very best, uh, they need to grow. They need to be formed in their character. At its very worst, hypocrisy, uh, living two lives. And if you've done any counseling as a pastor for any length of time, you discover there are those living double lives within our churches. Again, it explains Why some of the ineffectivity? Now, we've just given indicators and characteristics of the two groups of people you'll find in any church. Now, I want to give a study that was very fascinating that has to do with something called the factors of success, or according to our study today, the factors of fruitfulness. Basically, this study was done and determined that there are three three main factors to somebody succeeding at anything in life in any vocation or demographic. These rules still apply. It, it applies to athletics. It applies to business. It applies to, to whatever you feel called to do. And it included the, the religion mountain or, or uh, church mountain, the practice of spirituality and excelling at what you believe you're called to do. Okay, so these three factors of success don't just apply to the secular world or what some call secular. Uh, They don't just apply to these spheres of society, sociological spheres, but they actually apply to our, let's say, performance in church, our level of fruitfulness. What are these factors of success? And this is is just fascinating because you'll, you'll see now emerge what we just discussed The three factors of success in any vocation in life. Number one, knowledge. The knowledge factor. Knowledge. Now, when we say knowledge, what are we talking about? We're we're basically talking about knowledge that you have to pay a price to acquire. It's not just what you hear on a Sunday morning, uh, the stuff that's kind of randomly out there, but this is knowledge that you have to pay a price for to learn. Specialized knowledge in your field, I like to say. 
Okay, so the kind of knowledge that allows you to be effective in your calling, purpose, and destiny, the kind of knowledge that allows you to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, the things you need to know that will really deliver the result in your life that you don't necessarily get in a Sunday morning weekly, okay? I hope you're, I hope you're, you're tracking with me. But knowledge in and of itself, of course, is not enough. In fact, the percentage that is given to this one factor is 10%. Knowledge is only a 10% contributor to success in any business, any field of life. The second factor that was mentioned is the environment factor, interestingly. (laughs) And the environment factor is a contributor to success 50%, okay? 50% is environment. Not only uh, your ability to create environment wherever you go, but how someone leverages the power of environment by what they've been through. So, for example, take a look at Joyce Meyer. You might consider her an expert in her field. You might consider her successful and, and fruitful. Would she be who she is today if she hadn't had to overcome her abusive home environment throughout her, the formative years of her life? Rather than to crumble under it, she actually chose to overcome, which became the main thrust of her message to reach the world, was the thick skin given by God. The process of learning what she needed to learn. She leveraged her home life environment to produce a ministry that is reaching the world. I think you're getting what I'm saying. If you wonder about the power of the environment factor, take a look at the prisoner who is stealing on the street, running rampant, no routine, no self-discipline. Suddenly he's thrown into prison where some crumble and get worse, others leverage the power (laughs) of the routine environment prison that they're in to get a law degree. (laughs) Imagine that guy went and got a law degree, or that person went and discovered, I'm to be a writer, or they become a pastor in the prison. their, Their best self emerges when they choose to leverage the power of environment, 50% is environment. And you know, this is a real challenge for us in church life, and I want to throw a curveball at you now, so fasten your seatbelt, but in our church, when you would come to church on a Sunday, you might have been fighting with your your wife the whole way there. Who who can relate? And uh, you get to church, and you guys are throwing the word divorce around the house, you know, when you're around the house fighting and quarreling, and you're just having these issues that make it impossible for God to ever launch you both into full-time ministry. You get to the church on Sunday, and suddenly there's somebody there to greet you. The greeter is standing at the door with a big smile on his face, and he's, he's not even paid. He's just happy to see you, and you both shake his hand, and then you come into the atrium, and there's the smell of coffee brewing, and there's muffins and fellowship, and everybody's smiling, and, and you start to kind of forget the, the fight you had in the car on the, on the way to church that, that morning. <laughs> and then you go to enter into the sanctuary, and there's another greeter there, 
at the sanctuary doors who gives you a free bulletin explaining the wonderful world of what this church offers you. And this greeter is totally happy to see you, shakes your hand, hugs you, and you come into this, this arena with the latest technology in lights, in sound. The, the, the usher even walks you down the aisle and helps you to sit somewhere. <laughs> I mean, this is first-class treatment. This is why businesses and airlines uh, operate at such a high level because they know they've got you for this amount of time and they've got to create the most ideal environment for you to come back. Of course, <laughs> us as genuine church people, we don't just do it to get you to come back, but we do it because we want you to encounter God. But to speak a little more bluntly, a lot of pastors are doing it just to get you to come back. So then you're seated and a worship team comes onto the stage and they begin to minister. You, you get a free worship experience. You didn't have to pay for it. You didn't have to show up early and practice. Uh, you didn't necessarily have to get up early for prayer, but you show up and the worship band starts going and, and the presence of God that others paid the price for begins to fall in the room. And now you've lifted your hands, the anointing is hitting you, and now this wife or husband that you are fighting with, on your way to church, you take her hand and you lift it up and you're, you're worshiping together and you forget all about your problems and the, the environment is forming you and changing you. And then after worship, the, the, the pastor comes out He's, he or she is dressed well, they're funny, this is what they do for a living, they're great communicators, and you are shouting, amen, yes, I want to be a history maker, yes, Lord, use me to change the world, I'm ready to, to pay all, I'm ready to, 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 to lay down my life for those who don't know you. And, and at the end, you go and you tell the pastor what a great job he did, you love this church, you pick up your kids, and you just feel a little bit holier and like everything's all right. But then when you leave that church building and you go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you are immediately impacted by the home life environment, the challenges that are around you, uh, your day-to-day -day workplace where the worship team is not. You have to get up in the morning and, and live by discipline. You have to pray. You have to learn how to worship. You have to learn how to study the Bible. And you will find that many, for many people, the environment of the church on a Sunday is not necessarily the environment that people go home to or the, the workplace that people go to. They don't know how to translate it and close the gap. So there's good news, even though I'm laying this process of difficult news. The third factor, before we forget, we have knowledge is 10%, environment 50%. Number three, character. Believe it or not, this study emphasized character. The character factor is 40%. I would like to reverse environment and character and say character is 50%, because you can't even get into heaven without the, the character of Jesus being formed in, in you. But character is 40% of any success in life. And you will see this, that in general, society still places big respect on good character. I'll never forget when I was in an airport traveling somewhere and, and the 
TV was on at the gate, and uh, Tiger Woods was was playing and competing in in some golf match, and he was he was at the side of the fairway. He had been suffering back problems. He had been on a lengthy losing streak, and he was actually vomiting at the side of the fairway. And I'll never forget what the journalist said. She said, "Tiger Woods' game has just not been the same since his extramarital affairs." came out and, and the whole thing blew up within his marriage. And, and the reality is you see here a glimpse that it really is true. Charisma will get you where, you know, where you're going. It will take you to great highs, but it's character that will keep you there. It's character even within government that ultimately causes nations to prosper rather than be in, in poverty. It's the character factor. And, and to date, many what we would call secular or unsaved leaders still place high value on character. One of the founding fathers of, of Singapore, I believe, he said, I fire anybody within our government who is uh, caught committing adultery. They'll cheat on their husband or their wife. I, I fire them from government. When he's asked why, he said, if, you're, if your character is such that you will cheat the person closest to you, you will cheat the, uh, the person you made vows to, you'll definitely cheat your government. That was the thinking. So character is of high value when it comes to impacting and transforming the world. So I want to give you the three factors of success one more time is knowledge, which is 10%, number two, environment, which is 50%, and number three, is character 40%. Now, when I discovered that these are key aspects or these are key contributors to somebody being fruitful for the kingdom, specialized knowledge, being able to bring heaven's environment wherever they go, having the character to, to last and go the distance and leave a legacy and raise up the next generation, if these are all key things, when I was younger in ministry, I realized we have to start to cultivate these factors in church. And so what I did was I made several mistakes. <laughs> and I, I tried to fit all of those into just the Sunday morning experience. For some of you, you can probably tell where I'm going with this. And so I realized that people had knowledge they needed to have. So on a Sunday morning, I would get up. And I would preach the knowledge they needed to hear. Even though we had young lambs, older sheep, addicted sheep, uh, sheep going through this or that, I didn't necessarily come with a wide funnel message. I, I was teaching on like seven pillars for national transformation or, or system building to bring the kingdom to your... And it was stuff that was just so far over some people's heads, but I was saying, you have to know this to become specialized in your calling. And you know what? It just, it just got complicated. It got complicated. And I remember saying to my mentor, and I watched how he was so skilled at, 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 at training and equipping people. And then on Sunday morning, the message was a bit uh, more user-friendly. It was wide funnel, as my dad used to say. And he said, Derek, I'll never forget it. Derek, people don't come to church to listen to a complicated man. <laughs> they come to celebrate, they come to, you know, experience the environment, and then they're sent to the different streams that the church has to offer. So I began to realize that the pulpit-driven church in and of itself, where everything relies on the Sunday experience, 
we are just not able to give the knowledge that we need to give in that two-hour period. Well, I also knew that the second factor had to do with environment. How can we create an environment in two hours that changes them for life? And that was tough. I thought, well, maybe I need to preach longer. Maybe the services should be three or four hours like they are in some other countries. We're in North America here. And so I began to have long services, hoping the environment would really change people. And what I quickly discovered is that once it hit around 12 noon, people left anyways. <laughs> I would, I'd be in the middle of preaching and see a few people trickling out here and there. The children's workers were exhausted from having the kids for this length of time. All these issues that took place. And I, I found out that people just went to another church down the street where the services were shorter and they enjoyed coming to church on Sunday. The third factor, of course, was character. Here's where I really made a mistake. I began to be one of those preachers that was shouting from the rooftops, preaching on hell way too much, as much as I believe in that message. And really, I'm going to slam as much kingdom character into, into you all on a Sunday morning as I can. I found again that people began to feel heavy when they came to, to church. <laughs> People felt like they were coming to get a burden put on them every week. And I found that all of that yelling and preaching really didn't accomplish the character in them that only Jesus could. So this became my challenge. And out of, the, the, out of my failure and struggle in this, the Lord had mercy on me and gave me a gift in the form of three shocks. I want to give you these three shocks today and then I'm going to bring this home as to making this shift from pulpit-driven model only. I discovered that what people really need to grow and become world changers and for a church to, to manifest the kingdom out in society, I discovered that what needed to be done in people's lives could not be done all on a Sunday morning. <laughs> that was my big discovery, okay? It wasn't that there was anything wrong with Sunday. We didn't need to throw it out. As, as Peter Wagner asked the question, what do we do with Sunday morning? Now that we know the emphasis is kingdom and, and beyond the four walls, reaching the harvest. Well, here are my three shocks that the Lord introduced me to that helped me to make the shift, and I hope they'll help you as well. Number one, I made the mistake of thinking that my great preaching was enough to change the, the whole world. <laughs> I fancied myself a good preacher, and I thought that on Sunday when I got up and preached, I was fulfilling the Great Commission and discipling nations and impacting society. You could argue that I was moving the needle a little bit. I mean, if the message isn't preached, how can the people hear? But I was hardly impacting the city. They barely knew what we did inside that building. And I was hardly fulfilling the Great Commission simply by preaching to people each week. That was my first shock. My second shock had to do with environment. And it was this. The environment that people experience on a Sunday morning as great as, that, as it is, as genuine as it is, is not necessarily the environment that people go home to or to their workplace to uh, during the week. I found out that people go home to abuse, people go home to addiction, people go home to 
uh, inability to understand the word. People go home to challenges in, in worshiping God and getting close to God. You find out that people leave the church and go home to an environment that's totally different. Or they go to their workplace and it's a totally different environment than what Sunday does for them. Sunday services typically bring the best out of people. But when they go home, if they don't know how to carry heaven's environment and become the thermostat, they will be dictated by life beyond the four walls of the church and ineffective in ministry. That was my second shock. My third shock had to do with character. You find out that people are not necessarily who they say they are, even though they're so good at, at what they're displaying on a Sunday morning. This is the challenge. <laughs> These were my three shocks. And I remember where I was. I was sitting in my office, blinds closed, and, and we knew we were to go beyond the four walls, and I selected the best leaders possible that I thought were equipped in our, our church and ready. And I, I took these leaders, and I had given them social programs and charities to do, and we started ministries. And I remember that within a year, each of these people had quit. They all had different reasons, marital issues, the devil attacked me, my son has swimming on Mondays, Tuesday is youth group, Wednesday is Bible study, Thursday is uh, homework night, Friday is family night. Pastor, we, we just don't have time to do anything outside of the church or be local missionaries. And then some others, when the work got hard, they'd say, I feel the Lord is calling me to just come and sit. <laughs> He's calling us into a season of rest. And I would say, but you told me the Lord spoke to you three months ago that you're to, you're to start this single parent ministry and reach people. And these were the challenges that I was facing. And I remember where I was with my, my head in my hands at, at the desk. And I said, God, if this is the best we can do, I'm preaching my guts out on Sunday. And we actually have programs that would reach the community, but we don't have the leaders that can live it. If this is the best we can do, no wonder we're not transforming the world. <laughs> and I said, what do we do? And it was that period of life and ministry that the Lord introduced me to the fourth factor of those who are successful or fruitful. And it's the pressure and challenge factor. You will find that pressure and intensity brings out the best in us. You will find that the persecuted church ends up thriving and actually reaching people when you go through things. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you go through various trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its result, that you may be mature, lacking nothing. So we see here that the pressure factor that even God himself will choreograph for you, whether you're, you're Joseph going from the pit to the, you know, the palace and all of these incredible stories, in general, pressure, pain, uh, challenges put before us will bring the best out of us. They produce in history makers a thick skin, that allows them to, to, to step into their calling and destiny and rise above the general 90% uh, masses. The 10% are willing to endure the pressure to do the work of the ministry. So what does this mean? Because you definitely can't incorporate that 
into the Sunday morning two-hour experience. This means that we now, as the 21st century kingdom-driven church, have the opportunity of adding the training and equipping, intensive, specially choreographed training and equipping model to the local church concept. <laughs> when we started doing History Makers Experience, we did these three-day trainings. We had a training system in our church, in our apostolic center, that was pumping out leaders who knew who they were, who knew what they were called to, and they were willing to endure the pressure in a three-day experience that maybe they weren't getting on a Sunday morning. We actually quickly discovered that we could do more for equipping and sending people in a three-day intensive training than we could do in three years of Sunday morning preaching. If the training and equipping system is the right choreography with the right ingredients, knowledge, leveraging environment, character development, and all done with it in a strategic way with the apostolic grace of Jesus there, we discovered that we could equip people in their destiny, they were willing to put in the work on a Sunday, and they were willing to put in the work out there. These became the navy seals of, of the church, so to speak. And we released them out into society, and they were getting a result. We saw within a two-year period, we were able to reach over 250,000 people, as opposed to 10 years of just enjoying great services. <laughs> the, the results were astonishing. And then we took the History Makers training to the world and began to see that they, this, this principle of training and equipping crossed barriers, cultural barriers, cultural demographics, age bracket. We saw one particular couple in our, in our network of churches, and I'll give you this one example. They were older, they were excited to retire, and they, they said, this is what we're doing, we're retiring, we just enjoy going to church on Sundays. They went through the intensive training and equipping uh, uh, system that we use, and they discovered that God wasn't done with them yet. <laughs> Surprise! They came out of retirement and started a kingdom-based training for young people in finances. It was accepted in the school system. They could handle the warfare that the enemy came at them with when they went to launch it. Their, their marriage was, they could handle the winds and the waves, and they ended up being effective. And I'll never forget what they said. They said, we had no idea God could use us at our age beyond the four walls. You see, when a church begins to grab a hold of this, the Sunday morning experience doesn't need to be reformed. You come, you celebrate, you take communion together, you sing, you worship. The pastor isn't under the pressure of moving all the mountains of society in a single Sunday service. <laughs> but you end up getting coming to, the, coming to church and you're, you're, you're enjoying it, you're celebrating the testimonies, you're celebrating the testimonies of what God has done during the week, and then you're able to go out and continue to be effective. And, and, and each church that trains and equips more and more of these kinds of people and sends them out into society, eventually the kingdom of God begins to filter out there and become systemic. And this is how we did it with just 13 people. When they learn that pressure and challenge is part of the process of being equipped as local missionaries, international missionaries, 
that, that stepping into calling purpose and destiny requires crossing that, that point of no return, so to speak, where, where Jesus gives that grace. When they discover that, they're willing to go the distance. And you will see your church will shift into kingdom-driven model where Sunday service has its place, but it's about fulfilling the Great Commission everywhere your people, your trained and equipped people go in an organized way. <laughs> Are you ready to make the shift from pulpit-driven church only to kingdom-driven church? I would like to say that in the 21st century, and I go on to give more principles about what makes for an apostolic center, and I've given some today. But I would like to say that in the 21st century, if you don't learn to add the training and equipping practical component to your local church expression, you will eventually become irrelevant as it pertains to church and society. Just having Sunday services has never been enough to disciple nations. I encourage you to make the shift, and I thank you for, for checking this out, this longer message today on how to make the shift from pulpit to kingdom, driven church in the 21st century. We'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks for listening to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you liked what you heard, visit historymakersacademy.com to enroll in one of our cutting-edge trainings. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, History Makers TV, or download our History Makers Society app today. <laughs>